We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. Morning, everyone. Right, just David greeting me. Thank you, thank you, good. Oh, look, Charlotte's back. Welcome back, Charlotte. Um, what interesting times we live in. And uh, I'd actually, I have, to, I have to confess, before I get going properly, while we just we're finish on getting the offering in, I just want to say I had a moment of excitement because I was about to get James's microphone and it's got one of those earpieces, which instantly makes me into Michael Jackson. <laughs> I've got a soundtrack and everything. <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let's just turn, if you've got your Bible there or your phone handy, let's just turn to Matthew 28. Um, have a quick look here. It's Easter Sunday. Um, so we want to pick up a little bit on the Easter message. Just this bit in Matthew 28 is just where the women, uh, the followers of Jesus have come to the tomb. And they're approaching, it's a great description, all kinds of stuff happening. And Let's have a look. So after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He, was, he rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like, like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they had become like dead men. The angel told the women, don't be afraid because I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he is risen. Amen. He is not here, is risen. I kind of feel that just what James was sharing there, that kind of, we just got into that thing. He's not here, he's not, the thing is not how you expect it to be. There is another reality. Those of you who watch films, um, may, you know, the people my age, young people that is, uh, will have seen Back to the Future. And constantly, Doc is saying, you've got to think fourth dimensionally. Some of you, not many of you are nodding at me. Most of you don't know what the heck I'm talking about. He's basically saying, time has changed. Things have changed. There's a new reality. It's not the way you think it is. He's not here. He's risen. And I think today, if, if the one thing we want to keep coming back to, in fact, it's kind of come right through the worship, is... The reality we might see and feel and hear around us, the things of the news, that, that is not the ultimate reality because he's not here because he's risen. Amen. Amen. Let's have a little look. Okay, great. You should be able to see on the screen a lovely picture of Goodmays Park. And uh, I came across this picture. I didn't know I was going to speak this week. We just had to sh uh, shuffle some things around. And what we can see here, um, there's a pink tree. You can't quite see because of the light. There's a pink tree on the left. But then there's a whole row of trees without leaves. But on the other side, there's a whole row of trees with leaves. And I was looking at that and thinking, that's weird. Now, I'm sure those who are well into biology and those things will tell me why that's so. But for me, it kind of illustrated one of the things I want to talk about today, which is about the here, but the not yet that this reality we're living in, that we know that Jesus is the ruler of the world, 
He's come and he's coming again. But we live in this in-between time. We have an expectation of the green, but we're still seeing some of the kind of dead tree stuff going on. And it just, it's interesting, isn't it, how nature illustrates these things to us. And so I, I could call this talk the already and the not yet, but uh, we've opted for operating in the grey. But the grey is a mix between black and white. It's neither black nor white. It's this in-between, and that's kind of what we want to pick up a bit on today and uh, see how we go. Cool, right. So we are living in contested and confusing times. We've had a period of time. We've come through covid and lockdown, and uh, we often talk about uh, this being a pandemic, that's the correct term, but actually a lot of academics are calling it a syndemic, where lots of things coming together. We've seen a disruption to physical health, social connection, economic stuff, rumbling, just, it's not just, it's not like just about a flu or something, it has radically changed for two years. And uh, even if, if you interact with children, it's quite interesting, I suppose, I, I find when kids are fed up with me, they're trying to wipe my face off the screen, you know, try and move on to the next screen. We see these weird things that kids have had most of their interaction, small kids, with screens and with those kind of things. And it's, it's changed the way we are and how we do relationships. And we have to understand that. And there's, I think, lots more we've got to understand of what's happened to us. And we have to decide whether we want to live uh, with that, we want to recognise that, or we want to we want to reject it, and how we're going to and, and working our way through that is not easy. It's not just like lockdown's finished, the masks are gone, and life is back to how it was. Stuff has changed. And of course, coming out of that, we see this cost of living crisis that's coming. Um, particularly the fuel crisis. Any of you's been to the petrol station recently? I went, you know, before Christmas I could fill my car up for 70 pounds. I can only do half a tank for that now. And, uh, and that's a bit of a shock to the system. Uh, it particularly is when you think, oh, it's just a, just a temporary thing. And the prices keep going up and that's gonna have real effects. It's gonna have effects on the price of food and bread. We've not even felt that yet. And of course, the whole crisis and the situation in Ukraine is gonna have a continued effect. It's a cheery message so far, isn't it? Feeling happy? <laughs> um, we certainly live in shifting times, but there's also times of opportunity. And I'm not gonna to go too much into that side, but, but God is shaking things and people are interested. We were just seeing, we have some friends, you know, Heidi and I, we've got friends that are not part of Lifeline as well. We've got friends that are not Christians. It's a bit of a, a bit of a, exciting thing that to connect with people outside of ourselves and we saw someone recently posted a worship song they're not a christian but they just posted this thing about god and what he's doing and we realized that there is a yearning in people for god there's a yearning and 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 we collectively have part of the answer and part of the thing to share you may not feel like it but in us is that truth and that's why we need to come back to the fact he's not here he's risen Behind all of these events um, is a worldly culture and ways of thinking that at its root are completely against God. Our culture, our way of being, the things that our, our society values, at their root are sinful, they're grasping, they're self-protecting, and then they're opposed to God and his ways. 
I was talking to Mark McGrath, many of you know Mark McGrath, and he said to me, Dan, you know, when we talk about politics, we talk about nations, we've got to remember that they are not aiming for God. They are the opposite. So whatever things we see which are temporary good, they are, they are, we are part, and he was saying, listen, we need to remember we are part of a different kingdom. Our purpose and our root is about something which is different because he's not here, he's risen. If you look at the world, you can see all different things. People are always looking for some form of salvation, some form of fulfillment. If you're to look at culture and, and stuff on uh, TV and stuff on the internet particularly, you could be, um, you could be uh, forgiven for thinking that if you have the right uh, life partner, if you have found your way into the correct form of sexuality, that is salvation. That, that there's all these alternatives. If you've got the right money, if you've got the right job, if you've got the right house, that is salvation. There's all these false salvations around. All these things that have been presented to us again and again. And it's really easy for us to think that that will make us happy. At the moment, there's a bit of a discussion in our house about getting the right kitchen. Um, that kitchen has far too expensive a salvation for me. So we're carrying on with our dodgy IKEA kitchen at the moment where you can't get replacement doors. Now, there you go. So, you know, there is a sense sometimes that if we had the right kitchen, that suddenly I'd be able to cook. No, if we had the right kitchen, that, that would just, everything would stem and flow from that. Uh, it's not the case. This morning, I would say if I had the right water supply come into the house so the shower didn't stop when someone flushed the loo, that would create happiness. <laughs> these, are, these are things which are irritations and difficulties, and we can get so fixated on these things. Um, I was just talking to Phil before the meeting. Phil has had an interesting interaction with an uh, insurance company, uh, and he, he potentially has to pay quite a big bill. Um, you know what? If that happened to me on holiday, that would be it. I'd be so focused on that. But, but the, the, the thing that Claire said to me, you know, Phil didn't allow that to rule over the holiday. How many times do we allow these things to distract us and to become the thing we get focused on? They become an alternative salvation for us. You know, it's so important, last week Nick shared, I mean, Nick shared a great message, and the one thing that really stuck out to me, he said that one of the signs of anxiety for him is that lack of graciousness or lack of kindness to others. And we can see that pressure, that warning sign of anxiety happens when we start moving into that self-focus and self-preservation rather than looking to love and serve, and I would say agape others, that special love that we see demonstrated in God, which is all about giving away. We often translate it in English terms into charity, that giving away without expectation of concern. We can, we can try to hook and bring something to ourselves. In these uh, contested and confusing times, it does throw up some questions. I, I found myself... Um, as, as the war kicked off in Ukraine, and it does feel quite close. We've got people in kind of places that look like places that could be places we've visited. You know, it's very European looking and that kind of stuff. And you start to, and it starts to make you reflect because you start to imagine yourself into it. And I, I, I found myself thinking, cool, would I fight? 
Now, I know many of you looking at me and thinking, I'm a prime example of military service. <laughs> yes, yeah, some of you are saying, yes, I could attract a number of bullets. I know what you mean there. <laughs> a walking, walking human shield. No. <laughs> um, but would I, I've not had to think for a long time, would I fight? Would I die? And I was interested, I thought there was just a little thing going on in my head, and I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about um, uh, some commentators in Australia, and, and there were particular people we have in society, those who are kind of patriotic and those who are not patriotic. And what they're finding, those who would not, who would kind of be a bit critical about Western democracy, are starting to think, hang on a minute, I'm, I'm deconstructing, I'm criticising this all the time, but I feel a kind of connection with them. I think this is something, though I have all kinds of problems with our society, I think I would have to fight for it. It's kind of shaking people out of a critical pacifism and making us think different. Um, I didn't realise, I heard the particular image was this, this woman with a, with a cat on her shoulder. I didn't realise there are so many cat-related things on the internet as I went to search for this. It's like a whole new world. Um, but what would I be willing to fight for? Um, and my, I've been very affected when I was growing up by the stories of my grandfather, um, my dad's dad, who was, uh, who was uh, a fireman in the Blitz, and then uh, he was in D-Day, he was fighting in D-Day, and, and he got injured just outside Bayer uh, in Normandy, and so he always would tell us, tell me stories and that kind of thing. But when I think back about the, the real message he had, I remember him saying to me, he, he talked about a German officer who was driving towards a checkpoint he was manning. And he said he was basically lost. So we all shot at him and, and the car drove off and smashed up and they found him dead the next day. And he said, you know, I don't know if I did, I'd ever killed anyone. He said, I don't know if I wanted to. And it was interesting, see my grandfather came to faith during the war. And often the Second World War is called the last good war. It, there was a clear right and a clear wrong. And, but even him with all of his war stories and all the things that the family know about him, he's, oh, I've, been, I've disobeyed something. Right, okay. Um, he, um, he was saying, I don't know if I wanted to fight. I don't know if I wanted to kill. And what I have found is that the more I've read um, things in, uh, in history, the more I've found it's more confusing. And one of the things I think I want us to have is a little bit more generosity for ourselves and for those around us that have to make big decisions. Um, I'm reading, I'm, I realised the other day I was reading two books, uh, both talk about resistance. And the book in the middle, that big one there, Resistance, um, I've just started. It's bigger than the Bible, it's going to take me a while. But you know what's clear is, I cannot tell who are the good guys and who are the bad guys. And I think one of the things I'm always fascinated is, if you were in a country that had been overtaken by the Germans, overtaken by the Nazis, how would you know? If you were in Vichy, France, that kind of did a deal with the Germans, what was the right way to be? Was it right to resist? Was it right to work with them? How, how do you know? How do you know what to do? Because what's not clear, as I'm reading this book, they're talking about all these groups that became resisting groups, but to start with, they seem to be working with the Germans. 
and you just can't tell. Now, and, and sometimes I think we, we think, oh, it's really clear. Those are the bad guys, these are the good guys. But it doesn't feel like that every day when I'm at work. It doesn't feel like that when I'm looking at government policy and working at how I'm going to respond to it. It doesn't feel like that when I'm dealing with different situations. It doesn't feel very black and white. It feels pretty grey. And I think that's part of the thing I have to keep looking back is there's a lot more grey. It's not as easy. You know, um, it seems often the stuff about the Second World War seems clearer to us. And Churchill famously said, our wartime Prime Minister famously said, history will be kind to me because I intend to write it. And that's what happened. When, uh, when Churchill, uh, when they got to the end of the war, he was voted out of power. And what he did was very quickly write a history of the Second World War. He had access to documents. He won a Nobel Prize, I think, for that. But he actually framed, he basically made sure he was a good guy in the whole thing. And people are rethinking that at times. But it's interesting because we often, on this side of history, we can make an assessment, but it's not that clear at the time. And it's quite difficult to see. You know, one of the phrases I really get irritated from is, is when people say, the church has got to move with the times. I'm like, no. Or, oh, you don't want to be the wrong side of history. There's this kind of sense that progressing and liberalising and all those kind of things is right. I'm not sure if it is. And I want to have a little bit of a radar to say, God, what is it? How should we be responding? Not everything is, is black and white. Very few things are. And, uh, and in that sense, I don't want to look at a progressive line of stuff according to human wisdom. I want to come again back to that whole thing of what, what would Jesus do? What's he calling for us to do at the moment? And here's the thing that we'll go on to in a minute, is sometimes, and we look at characters in the Bible, they, one character following God did one thing in one period of time. In another period of time, they did the opposite. And I think that's quite confusing. So let's have a look at the example of Daniel. Uh, chap's got a good name. It's a good place to start. Daniel, for me, is, is part of a group of characters. We've got Joseph as well. Jo when you think about Joseph, he, he became basically the prime minister of Egypt. Egypt was the evil empire of the time. In fact, if you look closely, he, made, he, he did some really cunning economic things and made the pharaoh even more stronger than he was to start with. I mean, pharaoh was like the Hitler of the time. And yet Joseph was called to work with him. Daniel here, he's working with the empires of Babylon. In, in my Norway, they should be resisted. They're operating in the grey. So what do we see? Well, firstly, one of the factors we see here is he's given a different name. And we think, well, name's not that important. They're not, they're not significant. Um, it's just a label. But he's named after a pagan god. And he takes this name on. So I was thinking about, yeah, names are not important. And I remembered the whole thing. There's a quirk in, in the Gospels where it talks about Jesus and it talks about his lineage, talks about what he was related to. And sometimes they follow Mary's line, but sometimes they follow Joseph's line. But Joseph wasn't the father in the physical sense of Jesus. But Joseph named Jesus. And there's a very important thing. When you give a name 
you adopt that child. So Jesus could claim his heritage from Joseph's side. So the fact that Joseph named Jesus is important. So names are important. So this is my first confusion. Daniel accepts this name. And names, okay, maybe names are not important. But it was important later on. How about the title of his role? If someone turned up today, who we got on the doors? Oh, we got Susan on the doors today, right? Susan, if someone turned up in the meeting and said, hi, my name is whatever, and I am chief of the sorcerers, would you let them in? No, no, probably wouldn't let them in. No, I mean, I don't know if he had a badge made. It would be quite a big badge going round. But chief of the sorcerers. And this was not like, you know, it's not like pulling rabbits out of hats. This is, you know, this is dark stuff. He's chief of the sorcerers. It's not easy. Right. But then the big stand he makes is in, um, uh, where is I've lost my verse. First Daniel, oh, and I, I can't see it there either, right. So Daniel 1, 8. If you want to turn to that, we'll have a quick look at that together. We'll put your, keep your thumb in that because we'll jump, jump around with Daniel. So he's already accepted the name. And then, um, then it says here, Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. Uh, so he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. Now it's interesting, he doesn't, he doesn't have a strop. Right? And you later find out he's eating vegetables, uh, just eating vegetables. He's the most famous first vegan. Right? Now, I, I don't know if there's any vegans amongst us. I won't make any direct comment. But sometimes, some food things, people make quite a thing out of it, don't they? I'm not eating that. But he actually asked permission of the eunuch. Right? Eunuchs are important, but you know, it's not the most manly man you'll come across. So, yeah, so they, they go and he, he asks permission. He doesn't make a fuss. He does it under the wire. Just give me some vegetables and that'll be all right. So he goes, he goes ahead with that and, uh, and it, it works out very well. He doesn't cause a ripple with that kind of thing. Sometimes I think there's a thing that we can, we can lobby or we can campaign and uh, sometimes you can get a change by coming alongside someone or in a position of authority and speaking quietly to someone. Now, I was a school teacher, and one of the things I would say, I was a form teacher as well, and one of the things as a form teacher, you may not feel those young people at school here, you may not feel that, but your form teacher is supposed to be your kind of advocate, the person who sticks up for you. So every now and again, I would have some uh, young person from my form come to me and say, this teacher's been really horrible to me. And uh, I upset a number of teachers by gently inquiring about this. And, uh, um, and I, would say to, I would say to the kids, I'd say, don't yell back at the teacher in the lesson. Speak to them outside the situation. Lobby them. Talk to them outside. Because in the end, they're trying to save face. You're trying to save face. You're not going to get anywhere. Talk to them outside the thing. Lobby them. If you campaign, if you make a noise, it becomes a crunching point. So sometimes it's important to lobby and not to campaign in that sense. And then the final thing here is he doesn't bow down. This is much later. So if you want to look at Daniel 6, it says here, 
Darius, so it's got a new empire at this time, Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, stationed throughout the realm, and over them, he uh, three administrators, including Daniel. These satraps would be accountable to them so the king would not be defrauded. It's an interesting focus there. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps, and he had an extraordinary spirit, blah, 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 blah. So basically, he's doing well. And all the other guys start to get jealous and try to plot around him. I suspect they were probably defrauding the king. I would think that was probably part of the problem. So, they do a bit of a cunning thing. They recognise they can't trick him. They can't get Daniel in trouble through the nature of his work. They're going to cause a, a, a problem for, in a kind of a faith sense. And they make this rule about, they get the, the uh, emperor to make this declaration that people have got to bow down to him. And Daniel's saying, I'm not going to bow down to him um, at all. In fact, uh, at verse 10, it says, when Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in his upstairs room opened towards Jerusalem and three times a day he got on his knees and prayed and gave thanks to God, just as he'd done before. Uh, the, then these men went to the group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God, so they approached the king. So they basically entrap him. They make a positive law, you've got to do something, and try to, and you know what, That's, we're going to see that happen more and more. People are going to say, you have to do something. Not you don't have to do something, but you have to do something. We're going to see it more and more happen. And sometimes we'll get to lobby, and sometimes we'll have to campaign. So Daniel's in this situation, but, and they throw him into the lion's den. <clears throat> Many of us know the story. Um, in fact, vo verse 14, it talks about the king here. It says, as soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. I don't think Daniel was an ordinary worker or just a good civil servant. I think they had a relationship See, later on, we see in verse 18, then the king went to his palace. It's after Daniel's been thrown into the lion's den. He went to his palace and spent the night fasting. Daniel mattered to the king. I would like to put to you that Daniel was actually a friend of the king. And part of the importance of this, and God did an amazing thing, but part of the importance was he had a relationship and he was a friend, there was a friendship there. Uh, with the king um, and we see we see that uh, God rescues him and the king's overjoyed and then verse 25 then King Darius wrote to those of every people nation and language who live on the whole earth may your prosperity abound I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion people must tremble in fear before God the God of Daniel for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. That's not Daniel saying that. That's Darius saying that. It's interesting that Daniel's road has led him to actually get the king to make that declaration. And that's what we want to see. The king is making the declaration for our Lord and those things. He's a friend of the king and he sees these things repealed. What I want to do now is I want to flip from politics in the ancient world to politics today and this is where it'll be very quite exciting to see if the technology works um, I want to give credit to my daughter Kirillin who has helped me get this clip together and if it goes wrong it's all her fault um, <laughs> so um, now uh, Steve 
I was going to try and zoom Steve in, but because of time changing, we couldn't manage to do that. So I interviewed him, and it's a quite a long interview. I didn't realise it could be so long, so I've had to cut it down, and we'll make the full interview available. And, and because of that, I'm going to emphasise some points there. But I want to give you a little bit of a picture. So Steve Double uh, is a Conservative MP for, in Cornwall, and uh, he's a Member of Parliament, which makes him one out of 650 people in the country. And he's now government whip, which makes him one out of 15. So we're talking about someone in a particular elite position. Um, and, and so I was asking the question, how does your faith inform your role? Let's see what he has to say. Oh, no, we'll go back. Dramatic. There's a slight pause at the start. Are there particular examples that you can think of where, where it was really you kind of had to draw down on faith? Are there particular issues that you've kind of faced in recent times? Maybe stuff we've we've seen uh, in, in media or, or different things like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think clearly the last two years have been some of the most challenging many of us would ever have been through. Certainly as a country, you know, for for. Um, you know, for 70 years or so is probably the most challenging time we have felt, uh, experienced. And, and, and that obviously provided opportunities to, um, you know, I think just show your faith in, in practical ways in that, you know, my, my trust, my hope, my assurance is not in the things going on around me. It is in my relationship with God and, and the way you can demonstrate that in practical ways. I also think back a bit before that through, you know, the, the, the Brexit times, that, 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 you know, hugely traumatic parliament of 2017 to 2019, uh, where there was utter turmoil within parliament. And actually being in the midst of that, and, and, and actually in the midst of that, there were a number of, of, of words of encouragement and, and prophetic words that people uh, came to me with that really helped me sort of process and understand what was going through. And therefore kind of be a bit of a, uh, a, a, a stabilizing or reassuring influence with colleagues who are actually finding it really, really difficult. So I think, again, and a lot of that is on, it's to do with how you present yourself and treat people. But also I'm very aware that, you know, I am in a position of influence. I, I am able to influence policy, government policy, legislation. Uh, and I think, you know, it, it, it is something where I think you have to choose the issues you make a stand on carefully. I, I, I don't think as an MP you can go around trying to make a stand on everything that goes on. I think you have to be a bit pragmatic about it. Um, I think maybe one example recently that I could uh, give you where, um, you know, I, I think I was able to, to, if you like, speak up for the church and the faith community. It has been around the, the matter of conversion therapy where I know there was a great deal of concern from the church and, and other faith groups about what the impact of this le legislation uh, would have. It was in our party manifesto at the last election, so something that as a Conservative I was duty-bound to, to support, but I wanted to make sure that the concerns of the church were heard and were reflected. Uh, and I think through various discussions, I and, and other Christian MPs had with ministers, we've actually ended up in a fairly good place on this and can certainly see how um, 
the 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 place of the church and the faith groups within the legislation that's coming forward is reflected and i think much of that is down to christian mps being able to be a voice uh in parliament grand so picking the issues it kind of takes me back to daniel's thing about taking the name accepting the role but not taking the food and it's difficult it's difficult to see you think we think about food and you know, he didn't, Daniel didn't ingest of the culture. And yet we see that Paul talks about, don't worry about what you eat. You know, he's Paul's less, less focused in the New Testament about those things. So choosing your, choosing your um, issue is one thing, but what may be what God's giving people to do, um, we really got to see and, and see people really tuned into him so they know, because it may not always look right to us. There's another clip we got here, which I'm not going to go into, which just talks about it kind of where Steve kind of gives a little bit on his reflection on um, Bible <coughs> characters. See if I can move on from it. Well, here we go. Right. As a family, we've been watching The Chosen. Now, we've not only watched season one. So those who watch the rest of it, don't tell us what happens. Um, <laughs> But um, one, uh, just before we sat down to watch one episode, uh, uh, one of the kids said to me, what is your favourite story or what's your favourite healing story? And I, I have to say it's about when the friends bring, uh, bring the, the man who's paralysed to Jesus and they lower him through the roof. And the thing which really sticks out to me is it says, it says that when Jesus saw their faith, he reached out, prayed, and saw them heal. And I think, God, isn't that amazing that our faith can make a difference for someone in that sense? Um, and, and the scene is a great scene. I, I know it's probably not the best uh, on the screen here uh, because all kinds of things going on. It almost captures the whole situation of Jesus's particular time of ministry. Uh, you've got in the corner, well, I can use a little pointy stick, he says. Oh, there we go. In the corner, you've got the Pharisees peeking in, kind of more focused on the, pur the purity of what they're, 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 is important to them on religious stuff than what's going on. You've got a whole crowd there, kind of some that are eager to hear Jesus, but some are just there because of the novelty. There's just stuff going on. You've got Roman soldiers like, hang on, is there going to be a riot? What's going on here? And the different tensions between nationalism and imperialism and all those kind of things going on. Um, you've got the disciples worried about this whole situation and the house owners who are going to have a fairly hefty bill for a roof repair coming in. So you've got all these things going on and I kind of feel that, that feels a little bit about how we feel today. We've got all of these things going on around us. But then you've got that final group of people, the friends who are gonna cut through it all they're going to cut through the religion, the tradition, the politics, the noise and the crowd just to get to Jesus. They're going to cut through what they see because they want to get to Jesus. And I feel that's just a, a powerful thing about us. We want to cut through the stuff, which is, you know, we have to deal with it. We have to operate in the marketplace. We have to go to our place of work and score and those things. But we don't want to be of it. Remember, Jesus calls us to be in the world, but not of the world. Which kind of brings me back then, oh, going too fast, oh, going too slow, there we go, to the already and the not yet. The whole fact that the kingdom is here and yet is still coming. That God has worked, he's working, and he will work still. 
And that's part of the tension. We kind of like it to be nicely packaged. That, you know, Jesus has come, it's all going to be fine. No, he's come and he's coming. And we live in a world where we see terrible things going on and we see God acting as well in different things. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we shared, I was sharing that verse again about, I believe, but help my unbelief. That whole thing that I have this much I understand and this much I know, but God help me get more into you. Help me believe further. So with Easter, the death and resurrection of Jesus is, is the announcement of the kingdom, which is here and also to come. Some of the trees have revived and some still need to come into life. As we face the grey, we need to endeavour to cut through to Jesus, to the kingdom, not to be caught up with what's around us. And we could, you know, we could spend hours and hours talking about the different situations and things we see around us and different issues. And, and I think that's part of the thing, again, we, we had in the worship that, that he's not here, he's risen. And that whole thing is that we are coming to a place of... of, of taking our minds out of seeing what we see amongst us and hanging on to him and looking towards him for what he has for us. I want to give you a, a, a practical step, which I've found, particularly when dealing with people or connecting with people in places of influence. And some of us will have different experiences of influence. Some, there'll be some amongst us that are dealing with, you know, heading up, uh, managing situations or dealing with policy and different things like that. Um, one of the things I wasn't able to put on the clip with Steve was him talking about friendship and relationship. It is very powerful for us to relate and connect with ourselves here. It's just interesting to hear Jenny talk about that. There's people going to be coming from Ukraine and they all practically can be looked after in houses. But there is the thing about reaching out the hand of friendship. Uh, that's something we can all do. But also there are those that will come alongside that we may think, oh, they've got it all together. Um, and, uh, and from my work with MPs, but I'm sure this is the same as other things, I'm finding that consistently the term that they honestly say is they feel lonely. And lonely people do not make good decisions and don't do good things. In the past two years, I've dealt with more people in politics and others who are having breakups of relationships, partly coming out of loneliness and exposure, than I've ever come across before. And partly, I think it's an important thing for us as a, as a body of people to reach out in friendship, to knock off the dust of lockdown, of being cocooned in our things and to start thinking outside of ourselves. It's interesting again in what Nick shared that that key thing about anxiety is that enclosing into myself, but actually to be generous and to be friending people in that sense. So two things. Firstly, to be holding this thing about he's not there, he's risen. And secondly, to be seeing what we can do with relationship. And so we can be affecting the Dariuses of this world and seeing a difference made. Great, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, some really interesting things to respond to there. So. How many of you feel sometimes you just get a bit overwhelmed with everything that's going on in the world? All of the different things that are happening in your personal spheres, but also on a wider scale. Cut through to Jesus. 
cut through to the empty grave. Cut through to that he is risen. And that we live from that position. That's amazing. And also this other thing, if you find yourself in a place of influence, how can you be a friend to people? How can you be a friend to those that you have influence over? How can you share Jesus with them? So I'd, res- I'd encourage you, if you wanted to respond in prayer to those points, please do. Um, for Zoom, there's going to be some breakout rooms for you to hang out with. Uh, but also, if you want to, someone to stand with you in prayer, please use the number that's in the e-bulletin. Um, for those of you that are here, if you want to respond, please do come to the front. Um, is that everything? Yeah, I think that's everything. So uh, thank you, everybody, and have a great week. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at Lifeline UK.